The scripture reading this morning will take place from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1 and 18. On the Pew Bible, it is on page 1013. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Morning. <clears throat> glad to have any opportunity I can to speak. I'm so glad to see everybody here this morning. This past week had the pleasure of uh, spending a whole week out at a camp in western Kentucky with the youth. Tiring but fun, as it were, and uh, <clears throat> so glad to do that. This year's theme for our camp was In the Crosshairs. Looking at the cross and focusing on it to study it and see what it should mean to us and how it should impact our lives. The theme verse was 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, as was read. I found it very interesting that this verse was selected. I find it interesting because by itself, the verse means so much already. We look at it and we say, yes. The world around us doesn't understand the cross like we do. The world around us doesn't know the power that it has to change your life, to save your life, and to get you closer to God like nothing else can. But more than that, when we focus around the context of the verse, when we look at what Paul is talking about throughout the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, we see there is something more than just the world doesn't understand. We see that there is something more going on than Paul just telling us something we already know. We see that Paul is giving us a reminder. And why we need this reminder is the main thing we, I think we need to look at today. If we go back to the first part of the chapter, looking at the beginning of it, Paul, of course, as he usually does with his letters, gives a greetings and a salutation, gives him words of encouragement to start off with. And then he jumps right into it. He doesn't hold back. He says what's on his mind. In verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you of that all of you agree and that there be no dissensions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So we see right off the bat that Paul is dealing with division, something that has plagued the church since the beginning, as we can see here since the very beginning. People have been arguing and fighting and dividing Constantly. And Paul is trying to appeal to them to stop, to be of the same mind, to be united, to be a people together. And he says that he knows. He knows that they're divided because people are telling him they have concerned members. Verse 11 talks about clothes house, people telling them of the quarreling. And more interesting is why. 
Verse 12 says, What I mean is that each one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. And how sad it is that today we can still see the divisions because people say, I listen to this teacher or I listen to that teacher. Nobody's saying, I belong to Christ above all. I am focusing just on Christ. I am baptized in Christ. They're listening to the teacher and focusing on the teacher, not what's being taught. Their division is coming from people who focus so much on what's being on who's being said that they can't focus on what it is that they're talking about. And so Paul asked them. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Where were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. What was the answer to that? No. There was only one person that was crucified for us. Only one person that we were baptized into. And yet we can see and we can understand how easy it is to forget that. And I think we should appreciate this even so much more, having such a great history of searching for a restoration, searching for a unity in obedience, that we should know that in this world around us, just like in Paul's time, we have people who are dividing over something as simple as, well, I decide I want to listen to this person. Or, I want to listen to this person. They're not looking at Christ as the center point of our faith. They're looking at, what is this person saying that I can believe? What is this person saying that I can attach to myself? I like what he says. I'm going to go over and listen to him for a while. I like what this person is saying because it makes sense to me. Or, it's easy to believe that. I think we can appreciate this so much because we're constantly in a world that is divided by these issues. We look down the road, and driving down the road, we can see building after building that has the church of something, the Baptist church, the Methodist church, this church, that church, Anywhere you look at church. And these people, all of them spread out, profess Christ. But what are they believing in? What are they attaching to to their faith? Is it Christ? Or are they doing like the Corinthians here and saying, I belong to Paul? Or Apollos. He continues this very interesting 
discussion. He continues to bring out this point in verse 17. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize. And that that was part of the issue here because they were attributing their faith and their own beliefs to who baptized them and not who they were baptized in. And so for... Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with elegant words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. As soon as I read that, I have to stand back and say, hold on one second. You mean that the cross can lose its power? You mean that There's a point in which the cross doesn't have power over me, doesn't have my salvation. You mean that I can lose that? Not only can we lose it, but we lose it when we focus on the wisdom of this world. We we lose it when we make other things our main focus in life. This all builds up. This all contributes to the meaning that is in verse 18. And so when we hear Paul say, I appeal to you for division, for not for division, I appeal to you that you be one. That you were baptized in Christ. That Christ was crucified for you. And that when you listen to anybody else and focus on anyone else but Christ, the cross no longer has its power for you. It makes me think of those so many times that the New Testament writers tell us to be wary, to warn us. They're telling us to focus, to get our minds straight, to study, to be prepared to stand up for our faith. And why? Because the wisdom of the world will come in on you. The world tries to teach us other things and tries to draw us away from Christ. The cross should be our focus. The cross should be the thing that keeps us tied to Him. It's the only thing that can. And yet, there's, it's so easy to fall away. It's so easy to get tied up in the world and to forget. To forget what verse 18 is saying here when he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Continue on to verse 19. He continues to elaborate on this. He says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will thwart. Verse 20, Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since 
in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now, let's just stop for a moment and think of who who Paul is talking to here. The Corinthians, at this point, was a completely Roman city. But as in all Rome, Greeks had the thought. It may have been Rome who controlled the government, but the culture and the knowledge, the wisdom, belonged to the Greeks. The Greeks who had already at this point established the main thought of what is the basis of our thought today. And in their idea of God, it was ridiculous to think that there was a God who would love, who would care, who would feel so much that He would actually put Himself as a man and suffer for His creation. That was ridiculous. Who would think of such a thing? It was foolishness. But yet God used that foolishness as a power because when we accept the foolishness of God, it is so much wiser than anything that a wise man can think of. He continues on throughout the rest of the chapter to elaborate this over and over again that this cross that we have been bound to, which is considered to be so foolish and so silly to the world, God used to save. And at the end of the chapter, in verses 30 and 31, the, the big question which rides on this is why? Why would God use something like this? Why would God use a cross? I've talked to a lot of people today, a lot of, uh, not today, a lot of people throughout my life, a lot of people who don't believe. And a lot of them think, how can God be a judge if He is a good God? How can God send good people to such a terrible place? They say, if God's so powerful, why didn't He just forgive everybody? Why does Jesus have to die? Why did something that seems so silly, seems so foolish to the world, have to be the, re- have to be the way in which we are saved? Verses 30 and 31 says, He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast of the Lord. Humility. 
How can anyone say that we saved ourselves when we have to humbly accept the fact that Jesus is the only reason we have salvation? Who can say that I earned my way into heaven when the only reason that we have a chance to get to heaven is because this humble man died on a cross? Who would have thought such a thing? That a person who was the son of a carpenter, who lived his life serving people, could be called a king, and not only that, that his humiliating death would offer us a way into the kingdom. This morning I titled the sermon, Understanding the Cross. How can we understand the cross better? We look at the world around us and they they constantly question us about the cross which they refuse to understand. So how can we understand it better? How can we try to help them understand it? There's only one way, and that is that we humbly accept the fact that God chose to save humanity in a way that requires us to be less, requires us to seem foolish, requires us to not be the wise on the world. It requires us to go out there and accept the fact that people will look at us differently, that people will not accept what we accept, and they will not believe what we believe, because it seems so, so foolish. And yet, when we accept those things, when we take on the cross as our main focus is because we have denied ourselves. And when we do that, God is glorified. This morning, as we often do, we'll extend an invitation that maybe... Your focus has been turned towards the world, even for long enough that you don't remember that the cross is our focus. The cross is our salvation. Or maybe you'd like to take on the cross. Maybe you would like to to experience what God has given us through such a humble thing by emptying yourself, taking on the death of Christ in baptism and being redeemed. Or perhaps, like anyone else, you need prayers. Well, we now give you the opportunity, and the loving church is here to comfort.